I'm your host, Sheena, and welcome to Milk Carton Cases, a missing persons podcast dedicated to unsolved missing person cases in Canada and in the U.S. This is my first episode of the year, the year 2021, and I'd like to wish everybody a happy new year and happy holidays that just passed. So much has happened in the past year. Um, and I just like to address a couple of things. So far, COVID-19 is still problematic. Right now in the provinces of Quebec and Ontario, they're on an actual lockdown and they have a curfew for 8 p.m. until about mid-February. It's crazy. Uh, over here in Texas, no such thing as a curfew. And I really doubt that that will happen anytime soon. But Canada and the U.S., from what I've been seeing it seems to be taken a little bit more seriously in Canada but I'm also in the state of Texas so maybe other states are doing different things I think California maybe is a little bit more strict on certain things but here in Texas is kind of like well I won't say it's kind of like it doesn't exist because we still do wear masks every time we go in public areas but it seems a lot more lenient here than in other places just from my perspective so COVID-19 vaccines have begun, begun to roll out. Uh, however, in Montreal, Quebec, they stopped giving out the second dose of Moderna's uh, vaccine. They are telling the public it isn't 100% necessary to get the second dose in the previously mentioned time frame. Super sketchy stuff. I know a couple people back um, in Montreal that are a little bit frightened by this. They don't understand what it means. I don't know. So here in the U.S., Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building in Washington a week or so ago. Uh, they truly believe there was a massive voter fraud and that Trump is rightfully supposed to win and remain the president for the next four years. Their attempts at overturning the presidential election and giving it back to Trump were not successful because next week president-elect joe biden will take the throne so to speak yeah so this didn't end well as a police officer was killed among the five people who also were killed during that day it was a very sad and scary moment for all americans so next week trump president trump will be stepping down as president and president-elect joe biden will be stepping forward with that he's promising to bring a 1.9 trillion dollar relief plan that includes a 1400 dollars stimulus check uh, additional benefits for the unemployed as well as hundreds of billions of dollars for struggling businesses and local government so a lot of things are about to take place in the upcoming weeks in the united states Let's just hope it's all for the better, and let's hope that we all stay safe and healthy during these odd times. In other news, I had my first baby back in September, a beautiful baby girl. I might be blaming her for the huge gaps between my episodes, but I definitely am going to try to put them out as soon as possible. I really appreciate your patience during this time, and I just want to thank you all for listening and stay safe out there and again if you hear anything about these cases that i retell or know anything please do your job and reach out to the local 
law enforcement that's in connection with these cases and give any information that you might have. They're still, they still all have family members out there searching for them and looking for answers. Never think for a second that what you know or what you have to say is meaningless because even a small detail can make a big impact. Today, I will be retelling an old unsolved disappearance case of a little boy named Daniel Barter who went missing on June 18th, 1959. Here we go. On June 17th, 1959, the Barter family decided to go on a camping trip with their four-year-old son, Daniel, Daniel's three brothers, an uncle, and two of Daniel's cousins. They chose to go camping about an hour away from their family home in Perdido Bay, Alabama, in an area known to have both snakes and alligators. Daniel's three other siblings that time decided to stay with relatives instead of going camping. The morning of June 17th, Maxine Barter, Daniel Barter's mother, had driven Daniel and one of his brothers to a nearby store from the campsite to grab a couple of things. While she was there, she left the boys alone in the car and quickly ran in to grab whatever it is that she needed to grab at the time. But while she was gone, an unknown man had driven up next to the car and stared at the boys without speaking before then driving away. When Maxine got back to the car, Daniel's brother decided to tell his mother about the creepy encounter. But with the son not having much more information than, than just what he had told her, they decided to go on their way. I'm guessing nothing really happened, so what more could they do? And they continued. It isn't clear, but on the first night of their camping trip, it's said that the children slept inside Daniel's uncle's car, while I'm assuming the parents slept outside in their tents. On the second day, on the 18th, that next morning, Daniel's father decided to drive to a nearby store and take Daniel along with him. The intention was to buy some drinks for the family and get back to the campground as soon as possible. Being as it was so early in the morning, Daniel just popped out his uncle's car and went for the drive with his dad, only wearing what he had worn the night before to sleep, which was a pair of boxers. Um, at that moment, he wasn't even wearing shoes. He was barefoot. When they got back from their quick trip to the store, Daniel's family decided to begin preparing their fishing gear. Meanwhile, Daniel managed to wander away from the group without anyone noticing. When the family realizes that Daniel has disappeared, they search the area for about 15 minutes before they decide to call authorities to help with the search. At 9.45 that morning, he was officially declared a missing child. He was only wearing his gray boxers, he was completely barefoot, and last seen carrying a Nehi soda bottle, a soda, I guess, that was sold at that time. Daniel's family stressed that he would not have gone into the bay because he was a four-year-old child who disliked water. So to them, the extensive water search wouldn't have been an ideal place to begin. And either way, the bay had shallow waters at that time. But no matter what, they still searched. They scraped the bay floor in the hopes of finding anything, but came up empty-handed. Also, the parents mentioned that the campground was surrounded by thick brush and he wasn't wearing any shoes. So the likelihood that he went exploring the nearby woods was very, very unlikely. 
but they decided to search the woods regardless. After that, it was then when the investigation decided to look into the theory that maybe, just maybe, Daniel had been abducted. Going back to the search, an extensive search was done on the banks of Perdido Bay, consisting of 2,000 people, including 300 members of the U.S. Navy, 150 law enforcement officers and firemen and women from Alabama, Florida, and surrounding states. Bloodhounds, helicopters, and even divers were brought in as well while they searched over a five-mile radius for little Daniel. There was even mention that one of the searches consisted of them hunting large alligators to slice them open in the hopes of finding any evidence of the little boy. But no remains were ever recovered, and two alligators were killed in the process. Nothing turned up from this search. Not even the Nehi bottle that he was drinking from was ever discovered. They called off the search after about a week and a half. This was known to be one of the most intensive searches ever done in Baldwin County history. Being that the Barter family was not a wealthy one, the possibility of Daniel's abduction being one, of the, one for ransom was quickly eliminated from the table of theories. Also, they were never contacted with any demands. But remembering the strange occurrence of the Barter's sons being watched while at the store near the campground came back into question at this point. Especially since the morning of his disappearance, Daniel and his father visited that exact same store, which was the day after the man saw the two little boys in the car. About a month later, Mrs. Barter tells the police a story. She had noticed a stranger in front of their home in their town of Mobile, Alabama. When she tried to go up to this person, the man in the car covered his face with his newspaper clearly to attempt to hide his identity. And then he quickly drove off before Mrs. Barter had a chance to identify him. Later on, a neighbor also spots a creepy man looking into the boy's bedroom, the same bedroom where Daniel would have been sleeping in. Both the neighbors and Mrs. Barter decided to go outside to confront the man, but he had run off before they could catch him in the act. The peeping Tom left behind footprints in the dirt under the window where the boys slept. The police came in and made casts of these footprints. They took photographic evidence, but nothing was to come of this. Based off these suspicious detailed incidents, combined with the lack of evidence proving otherwise, it is believed that Daniel Barter was in fact abducted and not taken by predators or elements of the campground where they stayed. It is also believed that whoever took Daniel that day had been stalking the Barter family beforehand and quite possibly afterwards. The question remains, however, was that man still stalking the Barter family in order to abduct another Barter boy? Was that the same man who was stalking them at the store the day before Daniel disappeared? Was it just one person? These are the questions that we don't have answers to and may never know answers to them either. After rereading over all the details of Daniel's abduction, I did a little bit of research on my own. I checked where the Barters resided at in Alabama and found two possible suspects in the nearby area whose age and sexual predator profiles match Daniel's disappearance 
I came up with two. The first one is a black male aged 83 today, but would have been 25 at the time of Daniel's disappearance. His hair is black. His eye color is brown. He's about six foot two inches, weighing 216 pounds. He was charged for second degree rape. The second suspect I found, his details are as follows. Also a black male, age 79, would have been 21 at the time of Daniel's abduction. Brown eyes with gray hair, six foot zero inches tall, 230 pounds. He was charged with first degree sodomy in the jurisdiction of Alabama and also lives 0.9 miles away from the Daniels, from Daniel's family home. I did not include their names and addresses simply because this search I did was about a week ago and I can't be sure whether or not these two offenders lived there when Daniel went missing or if they only just live there now. It's kind of unclear. You only get a, a little bit of information for, for sex offenders. I did, however, look at the location of the Barter's family home and check the surrounding area about four blocks out and these two men were the only ones age-wise location-wise that could fit the timeline of Daniel's abduction again don't know if they lived there at the time but they do live there now there's no mention of race in any of the articles referring to the men or men who was suspected to have been stalking the barter family home but if these two men were living in the area at the time, and if these offenses happened before his disappearance, I would only hope that they were on the police's suspect list and were investigated. If they were not, then they definitely should take a look. Unfortunately, this case went cold. The Barter family moved to Texas, and neither Daniel or, predator or predators who abducted him were ever discovered. Baby Daniel would have been 66 years old today. The day he disappeared, he was only wearing his gray boxer shorts, nothing else. His hair and eyes were brown. He has a scar on his fingers. He has scars on his fingers and on his tongue. And he also went by the name Danny. His case was reopened in the 21st century, nearly 50 years after his disappearance. Many of the original investigative files have been lost or destroyed in the intervening decades. I'd like to read you some information on Daniel's case years after taken from storiesoftheunsolved.com. Back in 2008, the FBI and local law enforcement reopened the case after hearing a discussion in public. What had been overheard has never been publicly released. The new prevailing theory is that Daniel was abducted and a call was put out to those who recalled his disappearance, asking them to contact the police. Numerous members of his family passed away. In 2009, his loved ones returned to the campsite to remember their missing brother and rededicated the half-century mission to finding him. Daniel's father died in 1965, his mother in 1995, and his brother, who was born after his disappearance, died of cancer in 1997. The rest of his siblings are still alive and still hope that this case may be solved. If you have any information regarding Daniel Barter's missing persons case, please contact the Baldwin County Sheriff's Office at 251-972-8589. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Milk Carton Cases. Until next time, goodbye.